I know y'all have been going through a series in Galatians, and it's my honor to be able to pick that up today um, with where y'all left off last week. And if you think about the big idea of Galatians, we know that God invites each one of us into this radical freedom. Galatians 2 verse 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. We are no longer, as, as we have been reading through and hearing from Galatians, we are no longer shackled to the law as a means of our righteousness before God. But by faith, by simple faith alone, we are made right with God. Because of the finished work of Christ, our Savior, the Son of God, was made flesh. He lived among us. He lived, as we often say, he lived the life that we should have lived, but didn't. And he died the death that we deserve to die because of the judgment that was on our life. And by faith, we are united to Christ. This is a theme of Galatians. We are united to him, and we receive all the benefits of that redemption. We are justified. We are forgiven. Our sins are placed on Christ, and his record of obedience is placed on us. We are adopted into God's family. And by that spirit of adoption, we cry what? Abba, Father. That's right. We are sanctified. We are renewed in every area of our lives by this work of the Spirit. And the image of God that we were created to live is being more and more made our actual life. And we are made more and more willing and more and more able to love God and to love one another. We're free. Essentially, that's the message of Galatians, isn't it? We are free. But in these final chapters of his letter, Paul warns us, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. It's just like us, isn't it? To receive freedom and then to abuse that freedom. But Paul warns us in these last chapters, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Last week's passage gave us what I would just call a wide-angle view of the fruit of living by the flesh, such as division, envy, and the fruit of the Spirit, which is love and joy and all of the others, gentleness, goodness. Today's passage goes from that wide-angle, some of you may be photographers, it goes from that wide-angle and it zooms in onto two specific examples of how we are to live in this radical freedom. What does this actually look like on the ground, especially within the church? So even within these walls, within our community, what does it look like to live in this radical freedom? Let's pray, and then we'll take a look at the Scripture. Father, we, um, we, 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 we want to meet with you this morning. Lord, we want to hear... We want to hear you speak to us. And so, Lord, we ask that you would truly speak. Give us the enlightened minds that we need to hear your Spirit telling us what you want us to hear. 
what you want us to know, what, what you want us to apply to our lives. And Lord, I pray that you would do that primarily with this guy up here. Lord, that you would give me ears to hear even as I become your voice, your mouthpiece. Or give us your grace even now in these moments as we listen to your word proclaimed in Christ's name. Amen. So first of all, Paul establishes a principle. It's kind of a general principle, and I don't know if we're going to have it up on the screen or not, but um, verse 25 and 26 kind of lay out this idea that the Spirit lives in us and guides our steps. The Spirit lives in us and guides our steps. Beginning with verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Did you see that? If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, and envying one another. When American troops invaded Afghanistan back in 2001, it was estimated that there were some 10 million landmines and UXO, or unexploded ordnance, that were still littering this war-torn country, Afghanistan, that had been the, 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 the ground of war for decades. And so every footstep on and off the battlefield was a potential point of danger for these soldiers entering in because there were what they call legacy mines. There were, there were landmines that had been there for who knows how long, since the 80s. And so soldiers were trained to walk in well-worn paths, just like the locals had to do. They had to walk in well-worn paths, and, and, and if possible, to actually step in the footprints of the person that, that went before them. Maybe there's someone right in front of them who's making footprints, and you walk right in those footprints because you want to avoid stepping on a landmine. Well, this is what Paul means when he says, keep in step with the Spirit. Walking in the steps of the Holy Spirit is the only way for us to avoid the landmine of conceit and of pride and of arrogance. We know that our life is in Christ alone. By His grace, it is sealed to us by the presence of the Holy Spirit indwelling us. We live by the Spirit. That's what that first verse says. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. But we don't always live like we live by the Spirit. And this is rooted in what Paul calls conceit. Being conceited, what is that? It's having too high of an opinion of yourself. It's always seeking attention and recognition and the old word for conceit. Does anybody know what the old word for conceit was? It starts with a V. Vainglory. It's vainglory. It's seeking glory, but it's vain. It's empty. It's not deserved. That's conceit. And really, conceit is the root of all of our sin. It's breaking the very first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. And conceit says, no, I'm God. 
I'm the authority in this situation. I'm the one who's going to give me my life meaning and my life hope rather than seeking that from God. Conceit is falling back into a yoke of slavery, just like Paul has said previously. It's forgetting that we live by the Spirit. Conceit is a landmine, brothers and sisters. It is a landmine just waiting to destroy you. It doesn't seem like much. It's hidden just off the path, but it will destroy you. In verse 26, Paul describes conceit from two different angles. Take a look at that with me in verse 26. He writes, Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Two different angles in how conceit is manifested. These two phrases represent two different ways that we're conceited. One is through provoking, and one is through envying. Think about this. We can be conceited. This is obvious. We can be conceited by thinking too much of ourselves, and we begin to feel superior to other people. This happens when we slip back into our works righteousness, when we slip back into that mode of operation where we think, I've got to do this, I've got to do that to be okay with God, to be okay with myself. When we slip back into that, when we compare ourselves to other people instead of comparing ourselves to God, who is perfectly holy, then we think sometimes that we can actually keep the standards that we set up for ourselves. And when we fall into that, when we think we can keep the standards, we become conceited. We become, in our minds, we become superior to other, other believers, other people sitting right here next to you. And you'll know you're conceited in this way if you always need everyone to know that you are the best. You'll know that you're conceited in this way if you always find a way to mention your accomplishments, what you've done. You'll know that you're conceited in this way with superiority if you pretend to know something about everything. Superiority is one way that we are conceited. But on the other hand, and this may be more of us, actually, we can be conceited not by thinking too much of ourselves, but by thinking too little of ourselves. This also happens when we slip back into this works righteousness mindset. We think that compared to others, we don't match up. We don't do the great things that we see other people doing. And it can drive us into our shell. It can drive us to isolate ourselves from other people. And as Paul says, to envy one another. When you're conceited in this way, you feel inferior to other people. Can anybody relate to that? You feel inferior to other people. And you will envy people that you think have, have accomplished more or have had a better break than you've had. In fact, over time, you can begin to hate those people in your heart, even as you think you hate yourself. But it's really all rooted in this idea of conceit, that I'm comparing myself to other people's, other people. Conceit can drive people away from you because you provoke them. But conceit can also drive you away from other people because you envy them. Let me say that one more time. Conceit can drive people away from you because you're always provoking your superior. 
but it can also drive you away from other people because of your inferiority complex, because you envy them, as Paul says. And why is it? It's because we forget the gospel. We forget the good news that our life is not wrapped up in our performance, in how good we're doing compared to other people, but we live by the Spirit. That's how Paul begins. He says, if we live by the Spirit. And so Paul gives us, in the remainder of this section, two applications showing us how we can keep in step with the Spirit as we relate to other people within the church. And there's two different kinds of people in the church. There's people that you feel superior to, and there's people that you feel inferior to. That's everybody in this room, okay? At some level, you feel either superior to someone or inferior to someone. And Paul is going to give us an example of how, we, how do we keep in step with the Spirit when that's our reality, when that's how we really feel. So first, if we feel superior, we need to remember that the Spirit restores sinners just like me. <laughs> that the Spirit restores sinners just like us. Let's take a look at chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. Paul writes, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work. Then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Keeping in step with the Spirit means keeping your adoption papers out in front of you. We don't want to skip over that first word. What is it? What's the first word, chapter 6? Brothers. We are brothers, by grace, adopted into God's family. It wasn't because we were better than the next person. We're all sinners in need of God's grace, and through His grace, we're adopted. We're brothers and sisters in God's family. And I think it's interesting that he says, if anyone is caught in any transgression... Sometimes even the most mature believers will fall into a quagmire of sin, patterns of wickedness. It can happen to any one of us. We can get trapped. We can step off the path, and our leg can get blown off very quickly. We get caught in a transgression. I have known in my short career as a pastor, elders pastors, deacons, the spiritual elite who were caught with another woman, caught with an alcohol addiction, caught with pornography on the computer, caught stealing money from the church, and even caught stealing sermons. How do we respond to that? How do we respond when this happens Many times, we distance ourselves. We distance ourselves from disgraced sinners, whether they're an elder or someone in the church. 
and we avoid association when this happens. We, we distance ourselves from sinners. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? These public sins in the church are a test for us. Do we really believe in the power of the gospel for salvation? Do we really believe it? Do we really believe that God's grace is able to restore sinners? I am ashamed to say that I, I, I don't know of many examples where the brother was restored in the spirit of gentleness. I'm so sad to say that in a church that proclaims the gospel and preaches grace. Man, we, when somebody gets their leg blown off on the battlefield, do those other soldiers just say, well, okay, we'll see you later? No. What do they do? They, 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 they get off the path and they carefully and gently go over and pick up their comrade and bring him to safety in gentleness. They put their own life at risk to go and get the wounded and to, and to make sure he doesn't die. And friends, in the church, we have everything we need to do that. We have everything we need to do that. Verse 1 says, you who are spiritual. And look, he's not, ta- how do we use the word spiritual? We think, oh, he's spir- she's spiritual. She gets up at 4 a.m. and has a three-hour prayer time every morning. That's how we define spiritual, but, but it's not what you do, it's who you're connected to. The spiritual person is the one who keeps in step with the Spirit. It's the one whose life is in the Spirit. You who are spiritual should restore with the fruit of the Spirit, which is what? starts with a G. I t- we talk at our church, so I'm going to... It's okay. What is it? The fruit of the Spirit. Gentleness, right? We, we bear the fruit of the Spirit in our reconciling the fallen brother or sister with gentleness. Because that is the fruit of the Spirit that we need in that moment. Gentleness means taking it easy, taking your time, being careful. And gentleness, friends, is how God relates to us. He doesn't expect something of us that he doesn't do for us. Isaiah chapter 42, verse 3 says this, A bruised reed he will not break. A faintly burning wick he will not quench. See, God restores us with gentleness. And so that is what we are called to do with one another. Restoration means pursuing the sinner with gentleness, showing them that we love them and that we will not abandon them to the minefield. And it may be costly, frankly. It may be costly to identify with the sinner like that. We may be implicated by association. But as brothers and sisters, the Spirit of God calls us to seek to restore our fallen brothers and sisters, to urge them to godly grief and to repentance. It's not an easy process. I know some of you have been through it. Probably all of us have been through it to some degree. And we are warned 
right here by Paul, keep watch on yourself. When you, when you step out off of that path and onto the minefield, keep watch on yourself. Keep, that's when you really need to keep in step with the Spirit in that moment. Don't forget that we're surrounded by landmines. It's so important that we walk in daily dependence on God's grace. And how do we do that? We do that by being here. We do that by receiving the Lord's Supper each week. We do that by being fed with the Scripture, by praying and talking to the Lord. We keep in step with where the Spirit is moving and leading and guiding our lives through the Word and prayer and the sacraments. Verse 2 says, Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ is love your neighbor as yourself. That's what it is. It's not rules and regulations. It's love your neighbor as yourself. This is how Christ loved us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Y'all catch it on. This is good. (laughs) While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He bore our burden on that tree so that we might be forgiven and restored Love is choosing to take on the burden of another. And so, when we feel superior to a fellow believer, maybe they're caught in a transgression, we need to find a way to humble ourselves and to restore them in a spirit of gentleness. Verses 3 and 4 give us a little bit of information about, about ourselves as we're doing this. Paul urges us to get honest with ourselves about our own issues. He says you need to focus on your own need of grace and your own life in the Spirit. How can we expect to help our brother and sister with his sin when we haven't first dealt with our sin? Paul says, let each one test himself. Let each one test his own work. We shouldn't presume to be spiritual. This is essentially what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, where he said, You hypocrite. Jesus was real nice, you know. You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye. Then you'll see clearly to get the speck out of your brother's eye. So when we enter into these times, we need to check ourselves. Get the log out of our own eye. And then we can see clearly to help with the speck in our fallen brother's eye. If we know how to apply the grace of God to our own sinful patterns then we'll be able to restore fallen brothers and sisters with the fruit of gentleness. If you're feeling superior, remember, the Spirit restores sinners like you. But on the other hand, if you feel inferior, if conceit rears its ugly head with inferiority, you're always comparing yourself to others, you need to remember, we need to remember, The Spirit shares all good things with us. Let's take a look at verse 6. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit 
will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. For many of us, maybe not in this room, (laughs) surely not in this room, church has become a spectator sport. Francis Chan, you guys know Francis Chan, kind of a famous evangelical pastor, recently published a video in which he publicly renounced his previous work as the pastor of a megachurch, where he had thousands of people coming to church every Sunday. He said it was wrong that all of these people who God has gifted with supernatural spiritual gifts would gather just to watch him use his gift as spectators rather than being active participants in the church. He said, it's such a waste. Now, he talks a little bit more about that. It's worth watching. It's a 10-minute video. But in the church, I think it's easy for us to feel inferior to other believers, especially to those who are up on stage leading music or speaking or preaching. Rather than sharing the gifts that God has given you, we shut ourselves off from others. We forget that the Spirit shares all good things with us, with each one of us. And so we avoid conversations with each other before and after worship. We keep to ourselves, and then we tell ourselves, nobody cares about me. I'm not needed. I can't find community here. This inferiority complex, brothers and sisters, is rooted in pride. It is rooted in conceit. It is rooted in a view that denies the gospel itself. Because the truth is that you are highly favored, that you are prized by God, that God has given you gifts that he hasn't given anyone else. You are a son or a daughter of the King of Kings. That's the gospel truth. The Spirit has given you gifts that He wants you to use in the church and not just be a spectator, but pride. Conceit drives us into isolation. And this is true for pastors too, by the way. We envy one another. Paul writes, Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Now, we usually think of this the opposite way. We usually think of the one who teaches sharing all good things with the one who is taught. It's a one-way, it's a one-way gift, right? The teacher is giving out the good gifts. But no, Paul says, let the one who is taught share all good things with the one who teaches. In God's kingdom, the one who is taught has a place of honor. In fact, the one who teaches is dependent on the generosity of the one who is taught. Dependent on the one who is taught. Most commentators that I read agree that all good things is referring to providing 
material support for pastors in the church. That's why Paul follows this with this discussion of sowing and reaping. This is language about giving. In Paul's letter, second letter to the Corinthians, he uses the same metaphor to encourage generosity in the church. He writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. But each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not under compulsion or reluctantly, for God loves a cheerful giver. Jesus told a parable about a man going on a journey. And when he left, he entrusted his property to three of his servants. He gave five talents to the first servant, two to the second, and one talent to the third, each according to his ability, it says. Now, the first two servants, you remember what happened? They doubled their money by the time their leader, their master, came home. But the third servant had an inferiority complex. He was afraid. You remember what he did with his talent? What did he do? He buried it. He dug a hole, and he buried his talent in the ground. And when the master came home, he was displeased with that servant. So we need to recognize how we're conceited, to turn away from this envy that we have toward one another, because you have a vital role to play in the advancement of the gospel. It is not just the people on this stage who come up here every week and who love you and care for you. It is not just on them. But you have a vital role to play. When we use our gifts, when we give our time, our resources, our energy, when we sow to the Spirit, The scripture here says, we will reap from the Spirit eternal life. We will see a harvest of eternal life, but it takes the church avoiding that landmine of conceit and knowing who you are in Christ and living and keeping in step with that Spirit, the truth of who you are, that your life is in the Spirit. I want you to think about it. How has God gifted you? How has he gifted you? What good things can you sow to the Spirit? What talents has God entrusted to you? And have you buried them out of pride, out of comparison to other people? Well, my gift isn't really great. No, God, God says no, we, we want to live in the freedom that we have in Christ. And that means using our gifts and our talents and sowing to the Spirit. Keeping in step with the Spirit is not easy or else we would be doing it, right? <laughs> keeping, in the step, keeping in step with the Spirit is hard work. Sometimes it can seem like God isn't producing the way we think, the way we would like to see God produce. So Paul encourages us with these words. Or he says at the end of this passage, let us not grow weary in doing good. Pastor, I've tried. I've tried to give my gifts, 
but it just it didn't make any difference. Paul says to you, let us not grow weary of doing good. But I just blew it. Like that, I, I, tried to, I tried to serve, I tried to give, but it didn't work out. Let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season, not when we decide, but when God decides, we will reap if we do not give up. So don't give up, friends. Don't give up. Don't give in. God is working everything for your good, for his glory. If we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. Do you pray with me? Our Father, you know how weak we are. You know how we, how we trip and fall out of step with your Spirit all the time. And so we ask you now that even as we come to the table, that you would realign our footsteps with yours. Lord, would you feed us spiritually with the body and the blood of Christ? He is our life. May we feed on him by faith. Minister to us, Holy Spirit. Free us from our pride and our conceit, from our vain glory. Spirit, give us opportunities even now even after the service, to, to be a part of restoring sinners, just as you have restored us with a spirit of gentleness. Oh, Lord, do that work in this church. And make us generous that we might share the gifts and the things, the good things that you've given to us, that we may reap eternal life. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.